This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Fit Bar rules okay. Rangers joined Celtic in the group stages of the Champions League, their first time in over a decade after a 1 0 win over PSV. A gift of a goal, but a strong, morelessless performance means big gains at Ibrox and some money to help them keep up at the top of the Scottish Premiership. Also today, a Premier League preview. Is Southampton just the game Manchester United want or don't want after that win over Liverpool? Is home to Bournemouth just the game Liverpool want looking for their first win of the season? Winless Everton go to Brentford, winless West Ham go to struggling Villa. Could Arise Sajourier be back in the Premier League and who wants Hakim Ziyech? As we continue to mourn the passing of Barry's Carabao box, we pick out the highlights from round two, namely one point second bottom of the EFL Crawley knocking out Fulham. First Ellen White and now Jill Scott, all the best ones are retiring and Howard Webb is back to do some important overseeing of other refs or something. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hi Max. Hello John Bruin. Hello Max. Hello Troy Townsend. Hi, Max. And welcoming back Colin McMillan from the Heart and Hand Rangers podcast to celebrate getting into the group stage of the Champions League. Colin, how are you? I'm good, Max. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Um, only speak to, only seem to speak to you guys when good things happen. So uh, all bored of it, please. <laughs> well, to, to be fair, didn't we talk to you after the final of the Europa League, which wasn't necessarily yeah, we did a good actually, thing. To be fair, we did. You didn't, you didn't make it on then. So that, that, was, that wasn't a great one, but... When you look back on it, it was still an achievement, still something to be proud of. So you know, it was a big moment. How how big is how big is this? It's it's as big as it gets, basically. Um, I think we spoke one of the previous times I was on the show about this supposed journey that the club have been on over the last decade or so, where we had a a checklist of things that we really had to tick off and achieve to kind of get back to who we are, where we should be, and what we should be doing. And it was it was quite simple stuff in theory. It was get back up to the top league. It was start uh, beating Celtic regularly. It was win our 55th championship, win some domestic cups, and have some proud performances in Europe, um, which I think we've overachieved in that regard. The last thing was getting to Ibrox or going to Ibrox and hearing that Champions League music again. Um, I know we got to go to Ibrox last week and hear it, but it doesn't count for me in the playoff. That's not the Champions League, and I don't know why they play the music. Um, but a big thing for me will be in two weeks' time or so, however the draw plays out, going to Ibrox, hearing that music, and um, the club being back at the top table again. That's that's a sign that this whole journey and stuff can get put to bed. We can stop talking about it, and we're just Rangers, and we're doing the things that Rangers should be doing. Are you kind of happy that the journey has now happened? Like now you've sort of completed the checklist. Is it actually, a, it's a? it's been a more enjoyable story to go all the way at the bottom, go out of business, go to the bottom, start again? Or is that a daft question? You definitely weren't attending matches in the third and the second division, Max, if you ask me that question, <laughs> my friend. Um, no, it's, it's something that should never have happened. Um, it's something that set us back quite dramatically. It could have, it could have ended us. Um, to be fair, the, the way we've bounced back from it, the way we've came back and what we've achieved since is remarkable. And kudos to the, the guys that have come in on the board level and rescued the club. Kudos to Stephen Gerrard that started everything. And now to Giovanni Van Bronckhurst. But I can't say it's something I'll ever look back happily on. Um, over on the podcast, we do a lot of historic content where we look at every manager's reign, basically. And we do it match by match, week by week. We've done Walter Smith, we've done Graeme Souness, we've done Dick Advocat, we've done Alex McLeish. 
there's not a lot of appetite yet to go back and do the Alan McCoy's years, I'm going to be honest. So it's <laughs> we've, we've started it, but it's by far the least enjoyable one. Oh, bless Ali. Um, John, you did the report for the paper. You said it's thoroughly deserved victory for Rangers last night. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did both legs, actually. And I, I wouldn't say I feared for, for Rangers ahead of this, but I felt PSV... Uh, well, I, I, forgive me for this, Colin. I thought they perhaps had the better of the first leg. Uh, yeah, certainly looked the slicker team, but what they didn't have um, uh, is, is Rangers' grit. Uh, and that's what pulled Rangers through both legs. And in this game, uh, you had Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, who, a reasonably experienced manager, had that great run last season in the Europa League against Ruud van Nistelrooy, not an experienced manager and not a particularly experienced team. And I've got to say, Rangers did a number on PSV. OK, the goal came from a mistake, but the mistake was forced by Rangers. Uh, they pressed up very hard. Um, Van Bronckhorst, as I said, I think he's a very canny manager. They realised that PSV liked to play it around the back a bit, but they're not necessarily that comfortable by, when doing it. And they pushed up against it. Uh, the goalkeeper who dropped a howler in the first leg as well, uh, played his defender into trouble. The defender seemed to be completely disorientated. Installed Tillman. Uh, he plays the pass. Bang. Goal. And then I have to say, after that point, Rangers locked it down so well. Uh, they showed their experience You know, over the last couple of seasons. They're so used to running the clock down in these European ties, hanging on. Job done completed, back to the promised land. Well done, Rangers. Colin, tell us about Antonio Cholak. Uh, a friend of the pod, Jonathan Faduba, has been talking about him for years. I certainly haven't. Um, he scored important goals. And in a way, does that make it easier to, to leave Alfredo Morelos at home, away, where he's being a bad influence on everybody? Yeah, it certainly makes it easier when you've got another option up front, which is something we've not always had. Uh, we've kind of been overly reliant on Alfredo Morelos the last couple of years, so having another striker that's capable of scoring goals is a is a huge thing for us. He is not he's not a replacement for Alfredo Morelos. He plays a completely different game to Alfredo Morelos. He's more of a he, he's I saw some ridiculous criticism of him on Twitter this week when everybody was in the Alfredo Morelos camp saying that all he does is score tap-ins. That's his job. That's what I want him to be doing. Um and he did that again last night. He he seems really good. There's a bit of a a Cinderella story with the guy because obviously this time last year it was his two goals that knocked Rangers out of the Champions League uh, playing for Malmo and now he's came back to us this he's came to us this season and he scored last week and scored last night and got the goals that put us through into the Champions League so it's quite a it's quite a turnaround for him um, by all accounts he is the exact opposite of Alfredo Morelos in terms of his desire his fitness his conditioning and he just wants to do well he was in tears at the final whistle last night and this is a guy that's only been at the club for a couple of months. So, yeah, I really like him. He gives us a different option. Him and some of the other summer signings that we've made are spreading the goals around the team more than we have in the past. Like I think if you look at our goal scoring in previous seasons, the vast majority has been Alfredo Morelos and James Tavenier, with very little chipping in from elsewhere. We've now got guys in midfield like Tillman, Lawrence, um, Ryan Kent getting involved that are doing and paying attention to that and getting involved in that, which makes a big difference. So... I'm not. I've not cut off Alfredo Morelos yet. I'd like to see him come back. I hope he can come good. But having Antonio Cholak as another option is fantastic. And for for less than two million pounds, he's already repaid that transfer fee. Colin uh, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst said that uh, Morelos was left at home because he's not ready to play. Is that a mental 
lack of preparation, physical lack of preparation, or both. I, I noticed he got sent off at the weekend. And Connor Golson, the captain, also backed up um, Dan Bronkhorst's comments, which I thought, you know, a, a teammate sort of slamming, a, you know, or a captain sort of slamming one of his teammates is, is quite rare, publicly anyway. So what, what do you think the future holds for, for Morelos? So the, the the message that came out of the club last night in various press conferences and things was that Alfredo Morelos is also qualified for the Champions League. There's a road back for him, but he's got to prove that he wants it. He's got to prove that he's fit and ready to play for Rangers. He finished last season with a thigh injury. He missed the last three months of the season. He started pre-season earlier to try and recover from that and get back. The issue with Alfredo Morelos is that every summer he comes back overweight. Um, he isn't the best of trainers. He's not... There's always a bit of a, a lottery over how, how fit he's going to be and how ready he's going to be. He's a bit of a hothead as well. He's had eight red cards since he joined us, the most of any Rangers player ever. That's a bit of a hothead there, Colin. Yeah. I was just going to say, does that constitute <laughs> a bit of a hothead? In Glasgow, sorry, it's a bit of a hothead. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a fantastic player on his day and he's a guy that's done so much for us and he offers so much to the club. But he is just, he's an enigma. He's a, he's a character and... For us to get the results we've been getting and the success we've been enjoying, it's all about the team and it's all about working for each other. And you've all got to be invested. You've all got to be doing exactly what the manager wants them to do and following those plans. And sometimes there's not room for a maverick like Alfredo Morelos. And he's had lots of chances. He's been dropped before because he he went to Colombia and didn't come back on time ahead of a cup tie. Stephen Gerrard dropped him out of the squad at that time. He came back and recovered from that one. Um, however, when he came back and recovered that time, we didn't have any other strikers, and he was by far more important than he is now. So, that it's, it's going to be an interesting one. Um, he's still got a lot of love from all the support. I think people want him to come good. He's only got nine months or so left in his contract now, so he he needs to come back quickly, and he needs to start contributing and get that new contract. Hopefully, or he's going to be out the door for no money, which will be a really sad way to end his Rangers career. Yeah, there's such a sliding scale between how important a player is. And how much leeway that they get, isn't there? I, my favourite moment of this game was in the 95th minute. Rangers have a free kick basically on the edge of the PSV box and someone just smashed it back to the Rangers goalkeeper. <laughs> I thought it was absolutely sensational. Here's a question, Troy, from Kieran. says, Ronaldo for Rangers? Question mark. He wants Champions League football. Oh, yeah. Man United don't want him. Discuss. What do you reckon, Troy? I mean, is that a serious question or is that, I mean... it's a. It depends how seriously you want to take Kieran, Troy. <laughs> uh, no, I don't see it. Um, just because, I mean, they've got a centre-forward that's scoring goals already and they've got one that's a little bit of a hothead. So why do they need Ronaldo as well? You can never have too many hotheads, Troy. <laughs> well, it's just changed my whole definition of hothead, to be fair. So I'm really worried. <laughs> Um, no, it's it's not one for me. I don't I don't see it. I, I mean, he's a particular kind of guy, and his ranges up up his ladder um, as such. But listen, he couldn't do any worse. That's for sure. He, he could be on for a title and could be on for a, for Champions League football. But yeah, I don't think that would be in uh, Ronaldo's kind of thought process at the moment. Um, who, who do you want in the draw, Colin? I imagine English sides want to avoid Rangers and Celtic. Just feel like tough games for English teams. Would you like big Premier League teams just because then we can have the debate should the old firm be in the Premier League or do you want Barcelona? Um, I, I don't want Barcelona. Um, I, you can look at it two different ways. You can look at the, you want a glamour group, don't you? You're, it's been so long since we've been in there. You want to see some big teams. You want some good trips to go on or do you want, I don't know, Porto, Lightspeak, Shakhtar and maybe have a chance of making some money and going through. 
Um, I'd like to go to Madrid. I wouldn't mind getting Real Madrid. Um, I wouldn't mind Tottenham because I really want to go to that stadium. But I'll, I'll... so this is all about you, Colin, is it? Yeah, well, <laughs> absolutely. Um, no. um, listen, we are. It's a bugger we... to get home from. Oh, is it really? Tottenham Stadium. Oh, yeah. Right, scrap that then, Barry. We'll, we'll go for somebody else then. I'll speak to UEFA. Well, actually, Colin, actually, Colin, I think the I think the two four three. If you walk to Seven Sisters, stops just outside my flat, and if there's nobody in it. Then you can just stay there. The one four nine for me is a dream. So I don't know what yeah. Barry's on about. <laughs> this is turning into TripAdvisor now. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, much appreciated. Um, but yeah, listen. I, I think the ideal the ideal thing for us is to get a glamour tie. Um, get a couple. I, I'd like to pot one and pot two teams are going to be beyond us. You've got to imagine, despite everything we've done, a decent pot three team that we can potentially get points off of. Make some money because it's it's almost three million pounds you get for a win in this competition now. And ideally, I think drop drop down to Europa League by finishing third, and then have another crack at that in the new year. I think that would be the the kind of ideal outcome. I think the commentator last night, Colin, uh, said that you were going to PSG, Barcelona, and Man City. So work your way out of that. That's, that's a new. That's a, that's a, that's a different way of looking at the pots. That one, isn't it? But yeah, it's. I another. But why is this draw at five o'clock tonight and not twelve o'clock like every other European draw? I don't know how MD's expected to do any work today, waiting for this five o'clock draw tonight. It's only because you've come into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just it's the anti-Rangers agenda. We didn't organise it, but um, uh, uh, we will look. We'll look, good luck. You'll enjoy it. And it is like the draw because there's hope before the draw, isn't there? Before it's entirely extinguished. So thanks so much for coming on again, Colin. And we'll get you on again as and when, if you if you want to, of course. Absolute pleasure, guys. Anytime. Thank you for having me on. Uh, pleasure, Colin McMillan there from the Heart and Hard podcast. Uh, we'll be back in a second with the Premier League preview. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Manchester United go to Southampton after that much-needed win on Monday night. John, are Manchester United still shite? <laughs> Manchester United are back. Yeah. Now, what, whether that, well, which Manchester United, though, is back? Uh, that's the question. What, do you want me to talk about Liverpool game? or Liverpool? Anyway, listen. No, you can. Do you know what, actually? We did get a little bit of criticism, maybe fairly or not, of being quite Liverpool-heavy after that game, so oh, okay. so I think we you know we can afford five minutes. Everybody loves non Man United fans love it when you talk about Manchester United. <laughs> yeah, I've I've noticed that in the comments that everyone really loves this talking about Manchester United. So I thought I'd talk about Manchester United. Listen, a great big first step taken by Ten Hag. I was reading this morning that this fabled thirteen point eight kilometers he made his players run after the Brentford game. He ran himself. So there you go. There, there's a selfless manager. There's someone that uh, perhaps is a little more canny with the motivation than he perhaps looked at first. Um, it was an excellent performance. It was it, it was the type of performance that it, we've got to go back to the Fergie years where they dug out victories when it just when it seemed like everything was going awry. I was thinking of the game where they stopped Arsenal going fifty games unbeaten. There was one where they stopped Chelsea going on an unbeaten run and Darren Fletcher scored and it was proper up and at him. A, a dogs of war performance. Can Manchester United go through the season playing that type of dogs of war performance? Can they play like that at Southampton? You suspect not really, wouldn't you? Uh, Southampton aren't the strongest opposition, but they present a different proposition because they what they're going to do uh, is probably sit back a bit more, whereas Liverpool didn't alter their mode of playing against United and that let United in 
Still big questions to ask about United, I think. If they follow up by losing to Southampton, then it's doom, gloom. That <laughs> is so funny. Doom, gloom and, well, United are shite. <laughs> so let's see. Yeah. Depends what colour away kit they wear, doesn't it, John? <laughs> it's a good point, Troy. Um, what, what did you... I mean, he made some interesting selections, didn't he, Troy, on, on Monday? And it'd be interesting to see sort of how he how he goes forward with, you know, that bench of Ronaldo, Maguire and Shaw and how much time the cameraman, who's usually just looking at Sir Ferguson, has to spend looking at the bench as well. Do you know, you say they're interesting, but should should that be the way that he had started the season anyway? Um, this is a man that said that he came in early to get the job and oversee, you know, how he was going to make the changes. And Listen, I was surprised that he named Maguire captain and I was then surprised that he started with Maguire. So I'm not surprised, to be totally honest. I don't think Luke Shaw um, has done himself any good for a, for a long period of time now. His fitness looks way off for me. Again, um, Maguire just... I don't know what's going on with Harry Maguire. That Maybe the kind of constant attacks on him via social and, and maybe via certain commentators as well, is really having an impact. He doesn't look like a centre-back that's playing with any kind of confidence whatsoever. Um, you know, you looked at the two the other night and, listen, whatever you say, Varane is a well-cast player no matter what his age is. And I saw a partnership. I saw two centre-backs that were complementing each other and, you know... A classic big man, little man centre-back partnership. <laughs> big man. Well, all of a sudden now, he's big enough to play in the Prem, yeah. Martinez. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think they were too controversial, to be honest. I think they should have probably had done it before, maybe shouldn't have started with them. Ronaldo's Ronaldo, but they did need pace up against a, a very, very poor Liverpool back line um, the other night. And yeah, listen despite what Simon Jordan says about his suit and how tall he is, um, I think he's done... Listen, he, this could be the start of something new for United. Oh, it does beg the question of which would be the worst Premier League manager joining in with a 13-kilometre run. I mean, it's lucky that Roy has retired, isn't it? <laughs> I sort of think that might take quite a long time. There are lots, Barry, of must-win games, it feels. Liverpool home to Bournemouth. Like, it feels must-win, doesn't it? I think it is. Um for Liverpool anyway, not for Bournemouth. If if Liverpool were to lose this game, that, that is full-on crisis yeah. and the heat very much off Manchester United, I think. And Liverpool have not been playing well. They've played three games. They've drawn two, lost one, and been visibly unimpressive in all three games. They have an injury crisis of sorts. Their players look tired. And the fans are worried. I think there are some Liverpool fans who've already written off their title chances, which seems ridiculous. But on the evidence of what I've seen so far, they've, they've been, they're just, they're not at it. They look lethargic. And the, these injuries are going to keep coming, I think. And I think it's probably just last season catching up with them. They haven't had a, a proper break. They haven't uh, got enough bodies in and... I'm not saying I think Bournemouth will win, but I'll give him a chance. I spoke to you, I think, last time after the Fulham game where Liverpool was so lethargic. I didn't expect that to continue, but it has. Now, I have a, a, a theory about this. I always have a theory about these things, but um, remember that uh, Liverpool went on that open-top bus parade after uh, the Champions League final in Paris. And Jurgen Klopp put on this display of uh, a bit like Steve Martin's wild and crazy guy, you know, this sort of, 
yeah, base willing sort of Viking. Hey, we are having a great time. This type of <laughs> this type of display. Now, at the time, I doubted the sincerity of this. I'm not sure he quite believed what he was he was doing this, and I think, and but I think there was a, there was a method to it. Uh, it reminded me of. Do you remember at the start of Jurgen Klopp's reign, there was that. He got the players to all join together and celebrate in front of the cop when they'd drawn two all with West Brom. And this, among Liverpool watchers, is regarded as a moment that changed the mentality of Liverpool. I think that that open-top bus parade, Jürgen's celebrations, when, let's face it, a lot of Liverpool fans are going to be a bit down in the mouth after missing out on a quadruple and losing the Champions League final. I think it was his attempt to do that because I suspect that that Klopp possibly looked around the dressing room and saw that a lot of his players were tired. And he's a man motivator. He he works on those th- those things. It's not been effective so far. The thing that you you've seen with Jurgen Klopp after the game, and I, I saw it close up at, at, at Fulham. He's not happy with his players. He's not happy with the way that the output that he's getting from them. As Barry said, uh, there are some decidedly mixed signals coming from Liverpool, um, and that's I, I didn't expect that at all. Um, and it's been, uh, if we are to now that Manchester United are no longer in crisis, Liverpool are the club in crisis until we get to other crisis clubs later <laughs> in this preview. Well, I was about to say until we get to Chelsea, yes. Troy, who <laughs> who are uh, it's a must-win game <laughs> at home to Leicester. Well, this this is a must-win game for both teams. You think? Oh yeah, that yeah. is true. Talking yeah. crisis. It's a mu- yeah. yeah, it's a it's a must-win game for Wesley Fofana wherever he is <laughs> <laughs> in his expensive jumper when he probably won't be playing. It is interesting, Troy, that if they get Fofana and, and Anthony Gordon sixty million pounds, they will have spent so much money. This summer, and and I heard, I think it was Adam Crafton talking on the radio, saying, you know, are they is their starting eleven like measurably better, given all the money they've spent? No, and I think they're going to be the team that spends. You know, you've mentioned two there, and there could be others coming through the door. Um, they looked they looked very disjointed against uh, uh, against Leeds the other day, didn't they? Um, and it doesn't seem to be a plan either around these signings. These signings just seem to be a little bit. You know, let's just throw money at it and we know that they're going to take us another 10 or 15 mil, so eventually we'll pay it. Apparently, Anthony Gordon impressed so much when Everton beat Chelsea last season that Tuchel had eyes on him then and said, he's the player for me. Um, if Everton gets 60 mil and the potential of Broya and possibly Gallagher, what a cracking deal that is for Everton, by the way, um, even if they get one of them, to be totally honest. So, yeah... I don't know what's going on at Chelsea. Obviously, they've got a, a, a new man at the helm who's who thinks that throwing money at it is the way to go. But, you know, Ben Chilwell over Cucurella, no centre forward at the moment. So you're not sure what you're doing with Raheem Sterling. You're not getting the best out of him at the moment either, by the way. Um, and then obviously the likes of Pulisic, Ziyech, not really on it because they know that they're possibly on their way out the door. So this this is crisis time again for Chelsea. Must win, as you say. It's interesting that, you know, they were brilliant against Tottenham. I know they didn't win that game. And so, like, sometimes you just think, sometimes teams play well and sometimes they don't. I mean, it's just, that, that's not sort of amazing insight. But I guess if you want to come, if you want to push on from third... You have to play well all the time. Yeah, but you say brilliant against Tottenham and they didn't win. Normally, they've been subdued against Spurs and win. So, you know, Spurs came back. They they nicked a result. Did it knock confidence a little bit? Maybe. 
but it was just the way that Leeds dissected them and, and, you know, we're all over them, you know. Mendy, I've I've not seen the best of Mendy uh, for a very long time now and, and that mistake you don't expect from top-class goalkeepers. The the lack of kind of awareness as that ball went in the box for, for the second goal. I just see a disjointed team and, and, and when I saw the lineup, I thought this was going to be a struggle for Chelsea anyway and it proved proved it. I mean, you're right, Max, it could just be a one-off and he may galvanise them to play Leicester City, which at the moment, you know, is is kind of a friendly game for them. You know, so if there are uh, signs there that, again, they may be struggling, then, you know, maybe we, we'll, we'll look at that and say, look, that's two games on the spin now. But yeah, they'll have an active end of transfer window, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I actually went to Chelsea's training ground last week uh, and to hear Thomas Tuchel speak. And the thing that struck me about that game and after watching the, the Leeds game uh, was how, when I looked, thought back about it, um, Thomas Tuchel did not mention Leeds pretty much in the press conference that I heard on the Friday. The focus was on transfers. It was on Mike Dean's Daily Mail column. Uh, it was, and it appears to me that maybe there is a lack of focus at Chelsea and that's that's going to happen with the change that's come into the club. Um, speaking to a couple of people around the club, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of change going on at, at Cobham. And, yeah, you've got all these transfers coming in. As Troy said, you've got those unsettled players, Pulisic, Ziyech, um, many others. Um, I mean, Conor Gallagher, um, we saw play at Leeds and he was supposed to be, uh, you know, so great for Crystal Palace and great for West Brom the season before. But he didn't look a Chelsea player in that game, did he? It looked like he wasn't suited to Thomas Tuchel's style of play. So, so many questions to be answered. Uh, but I'm not sure that uh, the actual playing of matches is quite the focus at Chelsea at the moment. Steve says, please don't feel sorry for Brendan Rodgers. A lot of the issues at Leicester come from poor recruitment, bad tactical decisions and not taking responsibility for things on the pitch. We've not signed people because we have a lot of players on big wages that don't want to leave. I did. Well, there was one message, Barry, one of those really annoying passive-aggressive ones that says, you know, listening to Football Weekly, tell me you don't watch Leicester City by talking about, you know, whatever one of those ones is that basically said that we didn't know what we were talking about. Well... I don't watch Leicester City as much as Leicester City fans do. Why would I? <laughs> it's a, it's a very so, good no, point. The, the, the listener raises a, I suppose, a reasonable point. I, yeah, obviously I don't watch Leicester City as much as Leicester City fans do, and there's no reason why I should. But from what I can see, they're in a bit of a mess. I, I'm aware they beat Stockport on penalties in the League Cup uh, the other night. And that the Le- Leicester fans were singing sacked in the morning at Brendan Rodgers. They should be better than they are, the players they have. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not on top of Brendan Rodgers' tactical decisions or his recruitment, but uh, I, I'm happy to bow to the superior knowledge of people who, who are far more familiar with his work than I am. Isn't recruitment club-wise, though, Max, Barry, isn't recruitment club, club-wide? club It's not just about Brendan. It's obvious that Tillemans, Fafana are unsettled. Uh, he, he left Fafana out the other day and Tillemans was on the bench. They brought no new faces into the, into the team because they've said that they've got to sell first, but they're not selling the players that they can sell. 
Um, that brings unsettlement anyway. And when you don't have new players, you don't have a fresh outlook and you don't get that new kind of energy bounce as well. I think it's a little bit critical. So I think they've done very well. But how can you judge a manager when he's, he's not able to bring people through the door? I think that, I think it's a little bit harsh. But the thing with Fafana is they're, they have said, right, this, this is our player. This is how much we value him at. And I don't see why they should sell him for less than that. No, I agree. I agree, Barry. I agree with that point, to be totally honest. I mean, you look at it and you think, well, you're going to get the money from Chelsea anyway, aren't you? You're going to get it. So why are we faffing about here? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just it's ridiculous. I think they, they should sell Fafana to Chelsea and then buy Harry Maguire back from Manchester United. Um, uh, just to say, that was the first I heard of Troy being totally honest on today's pod. It has been pointed out that Troy is nothing but totally honest. Um, uh, Brentford Everton, Troy. This is must win for Everton, isn't it? Dear me. Uh, must win for Everton. I'll, I'll take anything. You'll take a point there. I was on a rival pod um earlier in the week and i yes i was on a rival pod earlier in the what? week and what uh, which one which one <laughs> no I, I, I won't name names um because it, it's growing and it seems like it could be better than this but this is up the top I, I know you've won awards and everything so i know um massive game for everton massive game for frank it wasn't a high performance podcast <laughs> <was it? laughs> i mean i could take second captain's even the Totally Football Show. But if you're, if I find out you've been on the High Performance <laughs> Podcast behind our back, you will be dead to me, Townsend. Barry, I'm going to tell him to take all promos down, yeah? Take everything down. Do not release that promo. Uh, mass, <laughs> massive game, massive game for Frank. Although the fans love him and appreciate him, I think that's compared to, obviously, who they had before, Rafa. And results will be the ultimate thing for Frank. He's had a lot of uncertainty as well, trying to get people through the door. Handicapped, obviously, because of the financial situation, although that hasn't handicapped Barcelona, so I'm not sure. Anyway, we won't go into that. And he needs to start getting results. He needs to get results somewhere, and he needs to make sure that the fans keep on his side. And, you know, selling Anthony Gordon, they'll know it's not a Frank Lampard decision, and they'll know it's a financial decision. But that will put cracks into the fan base. And if they don't replace, you know, by two or three players, you know, having... Uh, they can't use all the 60 mil if it's 60 mil, but replacing with some quality, ready to go Premier League players, then it, it's, it's going to be tough for him. You know, after this is Leeds United away and after that is the Merseyside derby. So Brentford apparently concede goals. So already you can see that probably Everton will get none. So we're looking at a nil-nil, I think, if they're going to get a point. But look, you beat Liverpool because so, they're open, so that's fine. Aston Villa, West Ham, John. Feels like must win for both of them, doesn't it? A derby of claret and blue doom. Uh, I'm going to be there to spread doom. Yeah, I saw West Ham last week, actually. They were very, very poor. Um, uh, and, and, and David Moyes afterwards was uh, resorted to complaining that Mark Noble had retired, which seemed to be a bit after the fact. And, and, for, for, and for Steve and Gerrard, they've really not been convincing. Um, both of these teams... Uh, a, a, a similar thing that we were talking about before. It seems to be coming off a bad run last season and taking it into this season and not being able to to do much about it. I am I am looking forward to this game because it's been a while since I've heard a brummy barracking apart from our night in uh, in the Football Weekly Live. But uh, yeah, I'm Stephen Gerrard being criticised in a loud brummy accent. That could be quite a lot of fun. It's a difficult one to call. It really is because. They've both been shite. 
Jez says, why are Barcelona and Man City playing a ruddy friendly a few weeks into the season? Kevin says, is this Barca City friendly just an excuse for Pep to head home and visit his family for a few days? What does this match tell us about what's in store for Champions League later this season? It, it was It's a charity thing, Troy, but it does seem a bit odd, doesn't it, to organise this now when managers complain about fixture pile-ups? Yeah, listen, I, whenever there's a charity game, I don't like to go too deep into criticism, but definitely the time how deep how deep do you like to criticize charities <laughs> well I, th- I think this game was for a teammate a former teammate of peps maybe who has motor neuron disease so very worthy cause absolutely and yeah there was a full full house there uh, a fr- friend of mine actually was there with his two boys who were absolutely beside themselves with excitement to be at the new camp. So we should just say uh, it's a nice thing to do. Okay, I'm, I'm happy with that. Maybe know. on a Tuesday night, though, considering that Man City still play at three o'clock on Saturday and their game is a is a, is a dangerous game against Crystal Palace, who have done well it up is, there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just a little bit because they've still got to travel. They've still got to come back. They've still got to prepare. So maybe the, it being on a Wednesday night was a little bit strange, but yeah. Was there a gesture like Phil Neville's playing uh, Romeo Beckham and um, his own Harvey Neville? Was there anything like that in this game? There, there was youngsters being played, yeah. Um, I, wa- yeah, yeah I watched yeah. the last bit of it. Um, one of them took a really bad knock to the head, to be honest. Um, oh, OK. I think the game was delayed by about 11 minutes. But yeah, I mean, listen, Harlan came on near the end. Um, De Bruyne didn't start. But, you know, both teams were going at it. It wasn't a friendly-friendly. It, was it was a good competitive game of football, as you would expect, you know, when you've got Guardiola in one dugout and Xavi in the other. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was just the timing that, that is strange. But maybe there's a reason behind the date that it was played. Well, look, Palace have started well, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, Wolves play Newcastle. Um, Newcastle set to sign uh, Sweden international Alexander Isak, Mr Isak from Heroes, uh, from Real Sociedad. Uh, in a 59 million rise into 63 million deal. He's seriously good. I he think. is good, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, he's a really, really good player. Yeah. Or, you or, sound disappointed, say, John. <laughs> no, um, I'm not. Well, no, no. I, I, I am delighted for my Newcastle United brethren. Um, <laughs> let's just say he's a seriously talented player. I think we saw a brief glimpse of that at Euro 2020. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. in, in Sweden's uh, first game... Uh, he's a he's a big star in his home country, and he's been a real star for for La Real uh, Sociedad. And Newcastle fans have had to be patient uh, during this transfer window, but I think they've landed themselves a real star there. Joey says, with Wolves in talks to sign Sasa Kaladic, six foot seven, and already having Daniel Podence five foot five on their books, are we about to see the best big man, little man strike force since Crouch and Defoe? Yeah, it'd be nice to see Forest play Spurs. Big transfer news here is that Serge Aurier, Arise Serge Aurier, is set to become Nottingham Forest's 19th signing this summer. This is extraordinary, just endless buying of players. Um, apparently Spurs want Hakim Ziyech. And according to Sabutio Online, Antonio Conte says, I use Sabutio to study and sometimes explain some tactical situations to my players. As Sid Lowe tweeted, it's all fine until you kneel on, I don't know. Pierre and Mick Hoybe only snap him in half and have to glue him together and he's a foot shorter than he was before. And your corner kicker, Ivan Perisic, is 12 times the size of everyone else. But anyway, uh, that'll do for part two. Part three, uh, we'll round up the Carabao Cup amongst other things.
Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly with apologies to Arsenal fans. I don't know why they're game with Fulham. They're top of the table. I mean, and, and they really do think there's an agenda. Oh dear, what have we done? Barry, give me a couple of minutes on that before we get before we get cancelled. Well, this, this reminds me of the time um, before you started helming Football Weekly for one Monday we recorded a podcast and for whatever reason, the big game of the weekend was... Manchester United against Tottenham Hotspur and we forgot to cover it <laughs> and no one noticed until like several hours later when it was far too late I think I had a light hold on we never talked about Manchester United Fulham and it was a complete mistake and we got slaughtered for it people accusing us of being anti-Manchester United people accusing us of being anti-Tottenham, neither of which was true, and then people just calling us idiots, which was completely true and completely justified. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, uh, we, we left out Arsenal-Fulham. I, I expect Arsenal to win this game, home game, but every match now where they're not playing a fellow big six team is being, you know, a test of the, their mettle. Is this where they Arsenal it up after their great uh, start of the season, and then of course they at some point they will play uh, a fellow big six club, and that will also be considered a test of their metal. You know, can they do it against the big boys after their nice cushy start of the season? Um, but Fulham have surprised me by how good they've been so far, and uh, I my gut feeling is that Arsenal win this game comfortably. Though I think they just have too much for for a Fulham side. That's finding its feet in the Premier League. Uh, Jill Scott has announced her retirement. She did it just as we uh, hit the publish button on the podcast on Tuesday. There's a big red publish button that we all hit together and hope that we have covered Man United Spurs. 10 major tournaments, 161 appearances for England, made her debut in 2006. Uh, played for Sunderland, Man City, Everton and Villa. Uh, there's a really good piece by her actually in the Players' Tribune um, that I would encourage everyone to read. I, I was reduced to tears by that piece. It was absolutely lovely. Um, and I don't think I don't think I was the only one. Shall I read a bit out? I mean, well, it's, I've got it's, it's very it's long. long. Yeah. Okay. Just go and read it, everybody. Well, basically, in a nutshell, and I'm not going to do it justice, but she talks of you know her time playing with with uh, boys in Sun on the back streets of Sunderland. Then she played for Sunderland. They they were wearing hand-me-down kit from the first team. Then she joined Everton and she spaffed all her student loan money on paying for petrol to, to chunt her over and back to Merseyside from Wearside uh, in her little car. And then I think her time at Everton, she said, you know, when it was costing her money to play, there was at away matches. They were sleeping four to a room in the Premier Inn. She describes that as the best time of her life, and I think you know, like all pros, she said she's going to miss the banter. But just you know, she very nearly missed out on getting in the England squad uh, for the Euros. She was recovering from a bad knee injury, and she thought she might not make it. And then just her disbelief um, at. The final whistle. She got on for fifteen minutes. She played well. She's obviously famously remembered for uh, telling one of her opponents to, uh, well, effing and jeffing at her, calling her a fucking prick. It's good of you to say F and Jeff and then say <laughs> yeah. fucking prick. One second later, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of saying F and Jeff, doesn't it? But she just comes across 
generally and in, in this article and the accompanying video as a lovely woman, a very funny woman, a very genuine woman. And she she has a coffee shop in Manchester, which she's going to run with her partner now. Um, but I suspect we haven't seen the last of Jill Scott. Uh, I reckon she'll go into coaching or possibly football administration. But um, she will be back, I imagine. And that was a wonderful answer. Longer than actually the article in the Players' Tribute that I could have read out. But still, I think you did <laughs> you did do it justice. But still go and read it. Um, Carabao Cup highlights. Ian says, big news today. When did Chappers transfer to Sky go through? This has really hit my plans to take over from Stelling now that Chappers has got the uh, is, is in in the Sky bracket. Yes, John. I think he does BBC, Sky, and the Athletic. Max, Max, you, yeah, busy you've guy. got a long road ahead. You really have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's really quite good as well, isn't he? Let's be honest, he's really excellent and a nice bloke. Oh, bugger. Anyway. Um, like Davey said, has anyone on the panel ever seen, actually seen a can of Carabao for sale? Oddest combination of high-profile sponsorship with low-profile product I can think of. I don't think I've ever seen it for sale. This is sort of big elsewhere, isn't it? The Carabao drink in the in, in Southeast Asia. It reminds me of Hafnia Meat in the 80s. Did anyone ever see Hafnia Meat? You know, used to sponsor Everton. Wow, that's before... Everton was always NEC for me. Yeah, but that was the one before NEC. Uh, I think NEC was some sort of IT solution for the mid-80s or something, wasn't it? Um, yeah, but I mean, let, let's face it, we live in a world now where there's a lot of sponsors that we have absolutely no idea what they are because they're from, for some betting company in in You're a right. far-flung country. That's a, at least we know what Carabao is, right? Yeah. So, you know, we should, we should, we should embrace it. Carabao is one of those energy drinks, which I, I don't drink them, but... Um... The one I see kids drinking is is if it's not Red Bull, tends to be Monster. That's yeah. That. Mm, yeah. So. This is really old men talking, about <laughs> things, isn't it? Like, I think I think we were we were one and two in the podcast charts of all, not just football, of everything this week, and now we're talking about what the kids are drinking these days. <laughs> yeah, it's really our our time at the top is done, isn't it? Um, Crawley beat Fulham. Well done to Crawley because they've had an absolutely miserable start in League Two. They're twenty third. They've got one point, um, and they did. Uh, they beat Premier League Fulham. Shout out to a friend of mine, Max Kevin Betsy. He's the manager. He's not had a great start. He's an ex-Fulham player. He's a lovely guy, um, and he would have been over the moon at beating his old club. Um, it gives a little bit of respite away from their yeah difficult start to the season for sure. When he was appointed, Troy, he he was widely regarded as a very shrewd appointment and you know the Crawley's owners are quite controversial of these crypto bros to say the least Mm. do you think he's made a mistake going there or does he just need time listen I think with anything it's his first big job isn't it you know he's been at the he was at Arsenal under 23s before he's done the England youth set up as well and is really really highly thought of but you know when you jump into the big seat you know, it, it 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 doesn't wait for you, does it? It doesn't wait for you to get yourself going or, you know, to learn. It's not one of those learn on the job goes because by the time the 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 owners decide that we're not winning enough games, you know, they will make a decision. I hope he's given time because he is a good manager. He's a good tactical motivator as well. Um, and yeah, obviously I'm saying that because I, I know him really well, but. You know, it'd be a shame if he's if his tenure doesn't last as long because he's he's basically not 
you know, been given the time to prove that he can be a good manager. But when you're second from bottom out of 92, um, the pressure starts straight away. So I think that the game the other night was that pressureless game as such that they could prove that, you know, they can be a decent side and hopefully pick up results from there. And actually, Barry, we are investors in Crawley, aren't we? Um, oh, because... we are, yes. But not, not, not in an NFT crypto way, though. <laughs> no, no. Charlie Baker and I, who do the, the Saturday version of the Sunday show that Barry and I do on the radio on TalkSport, we said, look, it was the start of the season. We said, we'll sponsor the first player that rings us. We'll, we'll put your names in the program. And Jack Powell, who plays for Crawley, rang us up. So we sponsored Jack Powell. He was hooked at half time. They lost the first game. And <laughs> then then I think he was dropped. And now they've got one point all season. I was good, absolutely delighted to see that he, he played the 90 minutes on Saturday. So uh, we still owe Crawley £200 between <laughs> me, you and Charlie, Barry. We should probably pay. It's £200 sponsorship or £500 business. And then we'd sponsor his gold gifts on Twitter, but he only scores about one a season. So we thought it's not worth 300 quid for a go- one goal gift. It's not going to f- further our brand that much, is it? Anyway, uh, elsewhere in the Carabao Cup, MK Dons won 2-0 at Watford. Uh, Watford knocked out the competition by lower league opposition in each of the last three seasons. Perhaps not taking it that seriously. Uh, Leicester, as we mentioned, uh, taken to penalties by Stockport, but they won that. Newport had a good win over Portsmouth. Um, and... The draw has thrown up Man City, Chelsea, probably biggest of the draws. Yes, John. Did you have you seen when this game is being played? This, uh, well, the Guardian headline has it: a mouth-watering draw. Okay, you know, uh, it's not being played till the eighth of November. After it, yeah. yeah I so that, that so the, night, ca- yeah. the Carabao Cup has gone into uh, is having its own winter. Well, it's autumn break. Recess. Yeah. Mm. Because because of the World Cup truncated schedule, yeah. So, uh, blimey, I think that happened last season as well, didn't it, John? Where it had a big, it had a significant break. I'm not sure if it's as big as this one. No, no, I think you're right, Troy. And I think they played it week after week after week, didn't they? Um, yeah, so, so, yeah. And that that's going to look. My instinct suggests it's going to be played week after week before the World Cup. So that's really going to cheer all those managers, isn't it? So, mm. yeah. And 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 just when Barry was getting excited about it, as he tweeted. Douglas Louise scores directly from a corner for Villa v Bolton in the EFL Cup second round. What a total waste of a great goal. I'm ashamed of myself for even watching this strike. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Max, did you see did you see this free Sheffield Wednesday goal oh, against Rochdale? Man, yeah. Oh, talk me through talk me through them. Or Barry or whoever. I mean, they were just I don't know, it was one of I think they were all from about thirty yards, Barry, weren't they? Top corner. Yeah, they were, I think they were all from 30 yards. I, were they all in the first half? But there was a... Jaden Brown took a shot from distance, at least 30 yards in. I think the pick of the three was uh, Fizé Della Bashiru. Yeah, he that's the one I spanked one yeah. in from about 35 yards. And uh, it was quite funny because after the first one went in, as soon as any Leicester or any Sheffield Wednesday player got within 30 yards of the... <laughs> the Rochdale goal. The crowd was going shoot, shoot. <laughs> so they obeyed the crowd's instruction and scored three goals, all spanked in from distance. I, but as I said about the Douglas Louise corner scoring straight from corner, it's just a waste of goals. You know, at that 
stage of the the EFL Cup. You want to keep those goals for you know important championship matches or Premier League matches or whatever. Howard Webb, the return of Howard Webb. It says <laughs> that's a bad movie, isn't it? But he's returning to the Premier League as chief refereeing officer at the PGMOL. Um, he uh, he's quite a sensible bloke, isn't he, Howard? I mean, like everyone's so furious with Mike Riley for ruining everything, and David Ellery and Kalina for ruining everything. Is it sensible? Is this Howard Webb? Do you think the guy who can make us happy with officials or not, John? I don't recall him being that popular beyond uh-huh. Old Trafford, actually. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, listen, whoever is in charge of that body, if they have. Uh, history of being a football official someone's going to dislike them for some perceived slight over the years um and of course well howard webb of course is what's howard webb most famous for not sending off nigel de Jong. correct correct yeah. yes so uh there's some ammunition for richard keys before we've even started really haven't we so <laughs> I, I i'd look forward to the column Jim says, after Benin changed their nickname from the Squirrels to the Cheetahs, which team or country would you change the nickname of and why? Um, yes, this is the story that Benin have opted to ditch their Squirrels nickname and will be known as the Cheetahs from Monday. So we've got three more days to call them Squirrels. Uh- <laughs> is that because Squirrels aren't, you know, fierce enough? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, it's long been criticised by fans of Benin who felt the small size of a squirrel meant their team were also considered to be insignificant. Hence, the Federation has chosen a bolder nickname along the lines of Cameroon's indomitable lions or the elephants of nearby Ivory Coast. Well, I would suggest my next door neighbour has solar panels on his roof and I can see the out mm-hmm. from my kitchen and he has squirrels living under the solar panels and they the squirrels regularly leap down onto my wall up onto my roof they're very nimble very agile very quick i i i i mean sore cheetahs <laughs> i was about to say <laughs> you just have the three adjectives to describe a cheetah absolutely perfectly yeah. there man. but um yeah i'm, I'm not you just say, you need to think of something a squirrel does that a cheetah doesn't it hibernates keeps loads of nuts in in its cheeks um i'm just yeah. thinking i i would I don't mind the squirrels that live under my neighbor's uh, solar panels, but if if a family of cheetahs set up residence on my neighbor's <laughs> roof, that would probably be I'd be more frightened. So yeah, maybe maybe Benin have done the right thing. There we are, and that feels like a good time to end, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Barry. You're welcome. Thank you, John. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Troy. Cheers, Max. Uh, We'll be back on Monday. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian. 